Welcome to Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown, the founder and CEO of Enter the Arena. I'm a serial entrepreneur and an expert in raising investment and business growth. Our mission at Enter the Arena is to empower female founders to fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business with investment expertise and business coaching. Here we share the stories of inspirational female founders who've raised investment to inspire you to do the same. You'll hear their honest accounts of what it was really like to secure funding, the highs, the lows, and the challenges they experienced on the journey. And along the way, we'll discuss top tips for how you can be successful too. Today I'm talking with the founder of My Bespoke Room, Diana Greenhouse. Now Diana has had an impressive career in merchandising and product management, working at major brands including Arcadia, URBN and most lastly at L'Oreal, where Diana met her co-founder Laura. So Diana then set up My Bespoke Room almost five years ago to be the UK's first affordable online interiors business and the go-to place when you think about doing up your home or refurbishing a property, whether you're looking for help, advice, design services, or simply inspiration. And Diana's mission is that anyone and everyone can have a beautiful home, no matter what their style or budget is. Now, over the past few years, Diana has raised almost £800,000 in external investment from angel investors. So I'm talking to Diana today about her fundraising journey, the highs, the lows, the challenges, and also Diana's top tips for success. So welcome, Diana. And Tell us a bit more about My Bespoke Room and how you and Laura came up with the idea. Hi, Julia. Thank you uh, for having us or having me uh, today. Uh, So Laura and I have known each other for a very long time, over 14 years. We used to work together at L'Oreal. And uh, about seven years ago, we had both bought uh, our first homes and were going through the process of gutting them completely and redesigning them. And over a few glasses of wine, we were both extremely frustrated because I had uh, got a few interior design quotes and I just couldn't believe how expensive they were. And Laura was uh, up for doing it all herself, but just couldn't find the right platform for inspiration. She was really frustrated with Pinterest because she'd see something she really liked, but didn't know where to buy it from. And we, we got thinking that surely there's got to be a service out there that could help us choose items for the home without making expensive mistakes and give us guidance without having to spend tens of thousands of pounds employing an interior designer. Now we were very busy, we both had corporate careers, but at that point we decided uh, we just both left to go on maternity leave. And during our maternity leave is actually when we wrote the business plan. And it was something to do uh, while the babes slept and fed. And uh, the more we talked about it to our friends and family, the more that we got feedback saying it was a great idea and they would use it. So at that point, we decided to do a couple of case studies with friends and family and pull together some ideas. Uh, And the feedback was immense. Everyone was really excited about having some sort of affordable, friendly help. Because traditionally, interior design is a very time-consuming process. Often people feel it's for high net worth individuals 
or commercial design. And also the feeling is that there's a lot of snootiness there and it's something that you can't really achieve on your own and you feel you'll end up spending thousands and thousands of pounds without necessarily wanting to. So at this point, we've done about five or six case studies for friends and families and the results were looking really good. So we went out to our family and friends and we raised a family and friends round uh, of 18,000 pounds. And that was really to build our first website. So we launched our MVP, as, as we call it, Minimal Viable Product, uh, and it cost us £10,000. And we had actually that MVP for three years. And Laura and I, in between working and raising young children, did everything. We did all the designs, we um, did all the accounts, all the marketing. And within three years, we actually ranked in the top 10 interior designers in the UK on Howes UK. So it was, it was quite a blur, actually. I look back now and I think, how did we do that? But it was at that point, we actually got a call from one of our customers and she happened to be a four times repeat customer. And she loved our services and wanted to meet with us. And so we, we had a meeting with her and she had just sold her tech business for 30 million euros and loved the concept that we were working on. And she was really um, the driving force behind us going out to raise money to be able to really grow and scale mybespokeroom.com. So up until that point, it was really just keeping our head above water, surviving, but also testing and learning. With every uh, customer that we served, with every, we spent lots of time on the phone with them. We learned how to build the platform that would really help us grow and scale. So actually what we did was we um, raised our seed A round, which was for half a million pounds. And with that money, what the majority of investors are angels, but we actually also brought on a US tech investor. And they, we worked very closely with them to build a new platform. And we built it, um, it was a bespoke platform. So it actually allowed us, Laura, my co-founder is a product engineer. So uh, the way she thinks about pulling uh, the process together is quite unique. And in fact, because neither of us were interior designers, it worked uh, to our advantage. So we built the platform to allow us to be able to serve customers more efficiently and quickly. Um, and as a result, we now have uh, a team of 30 designers using this platform and they're able to really design rooms very aesthetically and quickly, um, which, which is what My Bespoke Room does. So my, I should actually say, My Bespoke Room is an online interior design tool. So we match customers with qualified, friendly interior designers. Uh, we have three affordable packages uh, the first is £95 for a mini makeover. Our most popular package is £195 for a complete room refresh. 
And then we also have an open plan package, which is £250. So let's, so let's go back a little bit to the fundraising journey that you followed then. Um, so what I'm getting from that is that at the beginning, you were really a lean startup and, and it's a great example of how you can do quite a lot with very little money at the start. You obviously hustled your way through it. You were obviously very, very creative with your budgets. Um, that's a, that, I think that's a really great way of getting a business off the blocks. Would you agree? Completely. I think it's really important to do that at the beginning because when you're doing everything, you really understand what the pain points are. You really understand uh, you're speaking to customers day in, day out. You're getting that feedback firsthand and you can make improvements quickly and you can turn things around quickly, which is, which is really important. Mm -hmm. Also, remember that we were very lean so we didn't actually pay ourselves for the first three years everything got reinvested back into the business um to help it to help grow and um how did, how, how did you manage to kind of survive through that period were you still working or did you have support from your family or how did you get through that financially so we were both very lucky in that we had sat down with our husbands and our family and uh, talked about uh, we would, how long we would plan to do this for and give ourselves the runway. So we had saved up to be able to survive without paying ourselves. Um, we actually took a sabbatical from work so that if it all did go tits up, uh, <laughs> We still could go back to our jobs, um, but it was really clear after 12 months that we were onto something really exciting. And mm. it was at that point we decided, okay, we're going to invest full time for, uh, of our time into the business uh, and give ourselves a longer runway to be able to not pay ourselves and reinvest it all back into the company. That's, that's very, very clever risk management, I think, in terms of taking a sabbatical. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs think, I've either got to leap off this cliff completely or not. And actually, you managed to do that without um, cutting all your ties. So very clever. I think it's, it's, it's hard because a lot of people, I think, start looking into their own business ideas while they're still at work. But it's really hard to, to, do, to juggle both. And I think you end up probably doing neither that well. Mm. But we knew that we wanted to give that absolute focus, really go for it. And we had a really um, time, we had a timeline that we wanted to keep to. Yeah. Um, and it, it, we didn't even have to wait the 12 months. It was evident after six months that we were onto something. Um, and so you can start to plan it out. Um, uh, so, you're, so and, and also what's very interesting is that it was one of your customers who was first interested in investing in you. And I think, again, entrepreneurs often think, oh, my gosh, I've got to go out and find all these professional investors. But sometimes that investment is much closer to home than you think. Completely. And in fact, we've had so many emails from our from our customers asking about are they able to invest? And that's often a great place to start because they, they are brand evangelists and they, they've been through the process and they can see the benefits. Um, and now that's sort of extended into our workforce and into our designers as well who are keen to, keen to invest and come on the journey. So, so given that, actually, I'm interested to know whether you thought about crowdfunding because that's 
can be a great route when you've got a lot of really loyal customers and fans who want to get involved. Uh, we have thought about it and we haven't ruled it out, Julia. It might be something that we uh, take forward next year. Um, mm. and definitely because of all the um, positive feedback and positive signs from our community and our customers, um, it would be a great thing to do next year. So that first external round you got, I mean, you sort of you went into it quite quickly and I was thinking, I'm sure there was more to it than that. Talk a little bit about the, the process that you went through in getting that, that first big round. It absolutely was not quick. I would <laughs> tell you that. It's, it's quite a process, I think, that we went through before we actually ended up closing the round. First of all, we had to um, decide that that was actually what we wanted to do. And up until that point, we had three years of Laura and I making all the decisions, um, totally um, being able to manage every aspect of the business as we felt was right and as we liked. So bringing, giving away equity um, and giving away effectively some control is a big, big decision that I think founders need to think through carefully um, and that is also why we decided to raise through angels as well it's a very new market we're building something um, that's never been built before and we're attracting um, clients that probably would never have dreamed of using an interior designer before so it's not going to be fast it's going to be quick um, and so we wanted angels to come on that journey with us and buy into the vision mm. and buy into how we're going to grow this business. It's not a case of throwing a huge amount into marketing and seeing customer acquisition um, go through the roof. It is going to take time to educate um, clients about the business, about the service that we offer. Yeah, so you need that, that patient capital that's going to wait with you to get the rewards which are going to take a bit longer. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so once we had come to the conclusion that we were happy to give away some equity to bring some angels on board and come on the journey with us, it was then uh, we had to do the numbers and we built uh, a robust financial model based on what we had been achieving for the last three years. Uh, and what we thought we could achieve given uh, extra resource um, in certain areas. And we actually went through that financial model with quite a few different family and friends to stress test it, to say, okay, but if, if I assume that uh, no one buys more than two rooms, what's the effect going to be? So we had a lot of questions that came out of that in terms of sharing it with people and stress testing it. So we had almost like a, a realistic model, a blue sky model. And if it all went really badly, what would it, what would our um, sort of base model be? Yeah. Really good idea to do that. So the scenario planning and stress testing it before you go and actually speak to some real investors. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It just, I think it made us, um, it made our pitch uh, more confident because we we knew the numbers inside out. Um, it also made us look better as well because we we built it ourselves rather than getting someone else to build it. We could answer intricate questions and um, it just made us look a lot more professional. Yeah, and you mentioned confidence there. I think that's a really important factor. 
what about um, the the confidence in your numbers and the projections? Did you do you feel that um, you got a lot of pushback on that from investors when you were talking to them? Did they say you need to be more ambitious? You need to be less ambitious? What was the feedback you got? Uh, it's a really good question, Julia, because. In terms of presenting, we've had a lot of experience coming from the corporate world on uh, presenting and doing presentations and answering questions. But when it comes to females in a boardroom with predominantly men, I have to say, uh, that you're pitching to and sharing your financial projections with, um, a lot of the feedback was we could be more bullish and we should be aiming higher which is why we actually felt that having a blue sky scenario and a realistic scenario as well as a base rate was quite a good way to tackle that um, because uh, it sort of ticked the boxes for those investors that thought we could be more bullish. Ooh, that's great. And what about the valuation? How did you land on what valuation you should go out with? And again, did you get any feedback on that? around this kind of thing, you know, women don't ask for enough or women are too modest with their valuations? I think valuation is a really tricky one because there's some uh, entrepreneurs out there that will just pluck a number out of thin air and argue till they're blue in the face that that's what it should be. Um, we took a bit more of a considered approach and we based our valuation on sales projections and set historic sales as well, um, and then used a multiple. We then layered on top the value of the bespoke technology we had built, and also uh, the fact that Laura and I come from a corporate background um, and we've had successful careers as well. It's a really tricky one when someone uh when a potential investor challenges your valuation but i think if you if it's sensible uh and you can back it up then there's no reason why they shouldn't accept it i think i can understand when they challenge valuations that have just been plucked out of thin air and no thought has really gone into them but you, you're probably often going to get challenged because it's part of the negotiation process, isn't it? You're right. If you've done your homework and you've, you've put thought into it and you can back it up and justify it, then you're in a strong position. Exactly. Yeah. I think what we've actually done in our latest round is we've brought one of our investors um, onto our board as chairman. And he comes from a finance background and he's very much working with us to improve, get to a point where we can improve that valuation significantly ahead of our next raise. Okay, great. So, so what do you think were the, the top things then that really hooked in those investors on that round? And do you mind me asking how many angel investors you have too? So we, we have one um, uh, outfit, I guess, which is a US tech firm. Uh, which has the majority stake after myself and Laura. Uh, and that was a conscious decision because neither of us are, have a tech background. Uh, although Laura did work for Apple, we, haven't, we don't come from a coding engineering background. So it was important for us to have that uh, and have someone that's vested in the business to uh, be um, answer to the technical side of things. And then uh, after 
Uh, after them, we have about 20 individual angels, but I would say five of them have the majority stake. Mm. And, and, and then, what was it you feel that, that, that hooked them in then? What's, uh, what do they love about your business? So there's probably three things. The first thing is uh, Laura and I as a team. So we have a history of working well together. We've known each other for 14 years, both in a professional capacity and outside of work. We also, our skills complement one another very well. Um, I come from the brand marketing comm side uh, and Laura is product uh, design and engineering and looks after the operations. So uh, together we work very well. We're both confident presenters um, and in particular, we have a lot of emotional intelligence. So we can build rapport quickly with people uh, and with investors uh, and uh, sort of lure, lure them in and make them feel important and uh, bring them on the journey with us and tell our story. Excellent. The second thing uh, is traction. So uh, I talked to you a little bit before about within those first three years, we just had £18,000 uh, to build uh, our MVP and validate our idea. Within those three years of Laura and I doing everything, the fact that we already ranked in the top 10 designers on House UK was pretty formidable. Um, I think also it just shows that... Um, that there is a market there and people are wanting to use it. And some of the reviews that we got from our customers on there are uh, incredible. It's not just one or two sentences, it's paragraphs of how we've changed their lives and their homes. Um, and then thirdly, the third reason why uh, they invested was it's something that they would use themselves. They can see, they, they get it. It's if not themselves, they know someone who would use this service um, and they can talk about it uh, to their friends and family quite easily and, and they get it. Fantastic. That's great. Thank you so much. So what, what, you know, for anyone else who's out there now thinking about raising finance or at the start of that journey, what advice would you give them when thinking about their fundraising round? What should they be doing? The biggest bit of advice I can give Julia is all about planning. Make sure you give yourself enough time to really plan and stress test the finance, build and stress test the financial model, uh, planning your deck and your pitch, making sure even though you know your business inside out, when you talk about it, do, does the person you're presenting to, do they get it? Do they understand it? And the more you can practice that, the better, because each time you present to a different person, they'll give you different feedback. And what's really important is don't just do it to friends and family because they're always going to be biased. Try and, try and find some friends of friends or um, some other people in your network that you can present to that can give you honest um, advice with, without... Um, without being on your side mm. um, also in terms of planning is plan that it's going to take you much longer uh, than it actually is if you're in a situation where you need to um, 
have closed the round and have the funds in the business because you're going to run out of cash um, and you're going to have to shut up uh, shop, that is not a good place to be in and it will come across that you're in desperation mode. Uh, and what we learned this last time was that July and August, everyone goes on holiday. And uh, December too, they're all in Barbados. You know. December, it's not a great time to raise. And it's really important. I think when you have the first few people that want to invest, that you keep that momentum going, you can use that to your advantage in your follow-on meetings and the investors that you're meeting next. Um, and it's that, it's that, playing the game of fear of missing out uh, that, that can help you close that round. So it's really important to give yourself more time than you need, but also plan when in the year you're going to be going out uh, doing investor meetings. Um, I think we, we, the first seed A round we did was the beginning of the year sort of February March April which we found to be a really good time it's the end of the tax year especially if it's EIS legible then a lot of people want to use up their allocations before the tax year closes I think so I think those months July August December those are the times when you do your prep work and then you Absolutely. get out there in January hit the ground running get out there in September hit the ground running and those are really good times to raise I totally agree and I also agree with the fact that you've got to you have to I think you have to run it like a military operation and capitalize on that early interest and make sure that you you have a timetable that that you control because otherwise it can take it can end up taking a ridiculously long amount of time and that and that's no good for you as a founder and it's no good for the investors who are keen to invest in the beginning uh, if they think it's taking too long they might then start um, to have their own doubts and then you're sort of back to square one yeah. in fact what we Laura and I did this time round was I focused on the raise and she focused on running the business so I cleared my diary and I had blocked out um, a month and I said okay I can come and see you on these 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 dates uh, and we had all our paperwork and all our legals ready to go so we just looked slick efficient and we knew what we were doing Super professional, great job. So you've got, you close your latest funding round. So what is next for My Bespoke Room then? Well, it's really exciting, Julia, because what we've learned over the last 18 months is that our designers love the bespoke platform we've built. And so many of them have actually left their full-time jobs to come and work for My Bespoke Room because it allows them to work flexibly uh, from home, it allows them to earn as little or as much as they want and puts them in charge. Uh, and this is something Laura and I are very passionate about outside of our mission that anyone and everyone can have a beautiful home. Uh, it's also championing uh, predominantly women to uh, grow their own businesses, have that flexible work opportunity. Um, and so we've also on top of that we've had retailers actually approach us uh, to white label our technology and so we've decided to launch a tool for enterprises and designers outside of our business to be able to use our tech to uh, launch their own design services 
So it's really exciting. We're in a pilot cohort at the moment for the next couple of months uh, where we're getting lots of feedback on using the tool and the platform. We'll also uh, have an academy as part of it that uh, covers everything from finance to social media training. Uh, and we're working with a leading interior design school on it too. So uh, we plan to launch it next year, early in 2019. Um, and so if it's a successful pilot, we will then be going out to, to raise our, our next round uh, to help us launch. Oh, the never-ending fundraising trail. <laughs> it is. It yeah, is. I have no doubt you'll be successful on that. I mean, you, you develop the skills you need, you know how to run it. Um, and it's the business sounds really exciting in terms of what you're doing both for consumers and for designers and I love the fact that you're diversifying already that's really great it's a challenge mm. to to be running two businesses in effect mm. um, but it's something we are really passionate about and it's it, we've had so much feedback that we, we really want to be able to share our success with designers outside of our business and help them grow as well. Well, I wish you all the very best with the, with the next step. Um, I know exactly what I'm going to go and do now. I'm going to go and design myself a new room because my house needs doing up a little bit. So I know exactly where I'm going to go. Um, thank you so much for sharing your journey. It's been inspirational, but also thank you also for, for telling us about some of the challenges along the way. And um, we look forward to watching your journey. Thank you, Julia. It's been a pleasure. All right, take care. Thanks, Diane. Thank you. Thanks for following Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. This content is all provided to you for free. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe so you never miss another one. Enter the Arena has helped hundreds of female founders fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business. Our first-hand experience, expert guidance and proven programs help female founders unleash the Wonder Woman inside. To see if we can help you do the same, head over to www.entertheArena.co.uk. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown and I look forward to talking with you soon.